Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Matthew Penny is in the building and we are here to talk about Nicki Minaj's cousin's nutsack. We are here to talk about... <laughs> I, I hope not. I hope we haven't devolved all the way there. It, it's the off-season, technically, but I, man, I, I don't know how deep the off-season has to be for us to really um, add our two cents into that. Man in Trinidad gets sexually transmitted disease. <laughs> Period. It's, it's, it's quite the headline, and for I think it's 2021, the years kind of blend together. It, it seems on par, but still wild. With all the headlines and all the things that have gone on, that was a, a high point or a low point, depending on how you look at it. High point for sure. Come on now. A, a low Let's... point for that guy. If, if there's something else going on, it wasn't just the, uh, the the messed up COVID vaccine. Oh, my God. Um. No, we're not going to talk about that. We're doing like a five-hour podcast on JFK today. The movie, not the man. <laughs> well, better at JFK than... I thought the intro, I didn't think you are going to take the, the hard left-hand turn. I thought you were going to begin by saying that we, we share a, a fantasy football league with some other basketball media members. And for some strange reason, we matched up a week one and Sam was the victor. I will give him his uh, kudos before we jump into the, the actual content of the podcast here. Yeah, uh, I'm now two and zero against you, I believe, in that fantasy league. Mm, yes, over yeah. two and, years. Yes, and by by the way, my team last year was a fucking dumpster fire. <laughs> like, <laughs> like what a this year it's fine. Like this year, losing to my team is like it's been, under- it's been week one. Everyone's fine. You're you're undefeated, or you got one loss. You don't feel too bad about yourself. I, right. I, I thought I had a good draft. Anytime that that's like the kiss of death. Anytime I have a good draft, my team stinks. I should have known. I, I fall for my own tricks every year. Yeah, and I think that we had. Did we have back to back picks too? We both had like eleven uh, and twelve. Were, like yeah, like it was like ten and 11, ten and twelve or, or something like that. You you stole a couple guys from me that I, I wasn't psyched about. Yeah, yeah, including your beloved, your uh, your yes. king in the New England area, Thomas Brady. Yes, you did steal him. I didn't like uh, that. Yeah, I apologize. No, really, what we're doing today is we are going to start our 2022 NBA draft preview. And we're going to kind of do it positionally because we just kind of thought that that would work. Like, I guess that that's what it comes down to. Um, we're going to do like bigs, forwards, wings, and like guards, basically. And given that we're starting, we want to start off with a bang. And because of that, we decided to start with the bigs class. And this, if you're going to be excited about one thing in the 2022 NBA draft class, you should be excited about the bigs. I think that there are three guys with real, genuine, like maybe all-star level upside ceilings among this big class. Um, there are also some other guys that are interesting, but right now, all three of my top three players in this class are players that I would define as being bigs. Where are you at on this draft class in general before we specifically dive into these big men? Mm, it, it follows a, a class that I was excited about for a year prior. So it, it's a it's a very tough act to follow because mm-hmm. the, there was so much buildup for this last class. And I, I didn't think the class before was as bad as people made it out to be. Uh, just the the star part at the top with with Anthony Edwards and Lamelo, it, it wasn't as uh, as plentiful as this last draft with with Cade Cunningham and Jalen Green, Jalen Suggs and Mobley and people like Kaminga and Scotty Barnes. 
So it's it's kind of like we're still getting our feet under us in terms of what we think this will play out as. I'm optimistic because we are talking about bigs here today. There will be some traditional back-to-the-basket sort of fives that I don't really love that, that style of play. Also, then you have guys that are technically more in the five range but have some handle, can step out and shoot, can play different positions. So because of that, I'm also encouraged by – the versatility of the front court in this class too. Yeah, I agree with that. I definitely agree with that. I'm really excited to kind of see what guys pop up. It feels like every year now there is something of a pop up big, right? Like a guy that we think, I don't want to say is off the radar, but someone that we didn't necessarily think was going to be a one and done and kind of turns into a one and done or turns into uh, a two and done in the case of Kai Jones, right? Like Kai Jones was a guy that we knew coming into last year for sure. We felt like there was high upside, but we didn't think it would turn into like top 20 pick coming into the year necessarily. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I, I really liked them. There was, there was definitely spurts that that first year where you saw this could be a thing, but never thought he'd end up kind of where he was. I mean, we, we both kind of shot our shot pretty early that we preferred him over Greg Brown during yep. the, the Mao Invitational, and that was like a, a hottish take at the time. And and then water kind of found its level, and then you could even argue Jericho Sims didn't come out of nowhere, but a guy who had a great combine, and you're talking about him more than Greg Brown. So the pieces really move around. There there are a lot of candidates, too, like, like you touched on both here and internationally, which could pop up and go up draft boards based on the season. And and with high school, just for a little bit of context, guys didn't play as national of schedule. Guys didn't play in front of as many media people. So, yes, the the well-informed scouts and and the the eyeballs that they trust on the grassroots level have seen them, but it it wasn't this normal exposure type of uh, platform during the the season and grassroots season was canceled that you could have these multiple viewings of guys that could either say hey they're really good or hey they're really bad so we could be fooled one way or another the first couple games of the season and it's going to take at least non-conference into conference play to see who separates himself from those packs yeah and then you you kind of look back in the past few years as well like 2020 Zeke Naji uh, popped like he was a guy that I certainly wrote about as someone that I had heard really good things about in the preseason from people out of Arizona, but I didn't necessarily think it would be one and done. I thought it would be more two and done for Zeke Naji. Uh, the year before in 2019, Jackson Hayes popped from being like outside of the top 100 to being a top 10 pick in that class. So over the last few years, there have been quite a few like, pop up bigs and the goal that we're trying to accomplish beyond finding the players that uh, are going to be top three picks. And I think we feel pretty good at least about, you know, Chet Holmgren, Paulo Boncaro and Jalen Duran being top 10 picks, at least if not top five picks. And if not the number one pick, I think that the odds are high that the number one pick will come from one of those three players in all likelihood. Um, Hopefully we can at least like find the um, diamond in the rough when we talk here, right? Yeah, and and those guys are are kind of like the diamonds at the top of the rough. Like we we know what what those guys are, but even a, another kind of peek behind the curtain before we hit record, we're throwing out another names. Like how about this guy? How about that guy? So it's yep. it's all still it's shifting uh, in in real time here for us and. 
uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited too because it seems like college basketball is close and I've already started making my little calendar of matchup games and just adding uh, more, more names to the list here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the last week and a half, I mean, I'm sure that people have noticed, like, since I've been back from vacation, um, I haven't really been writing. It's because I am just on the phone the whole time with college coaches and agents and people around the industry and AAU coaches kind of trying to find guys right now. Right. Because, look, it's not an exaggeration to say that this class is messy, right now and i think that that's honestly like maybe the best place to start um this class is messy and (laughs) that's that's the title that's the bullet point right here it is man you were saying top three guys in the class i didn't even obviously i have notes i know the story but i didn't even like process jalen duran because that's even still so fresh that he's in this class so i was like is he who's he talking about like who's (laughs) who's the guy i'm missing right now it's like and jalen duran Yes, that makes sense. But that that's part of the mess. That adds to the mess that we're trying to sort through. Yeah, and look, it, on some level, we are talking also about college kids. We should mention that from the jump. Like, I'm not... Um, we'll do international kids, and we'll do a preview on international kids um, at some point in the preseason. But we're not talking Yannick and Zosa, um, Nikola Jovic, like any of those guys. We're purely talking guys who are over here in the United States right now. Um just because it feels like people were getting into college basketball preview season, I would say at this point, we're not quite there yet, but may- maybe this podcast will kick it off for some people uh, and hopefully getting you guys the content that you need and hopefully NBA fans as well on teams that are probably not going to be winners this year, such as Cleveland, um, you know, Oklahoma city certainly will, the magic, yeah, we'll be excited those, to hear those some. Guys, those, but those fan bases are—they're enthused right now. They just had great drafts. Or I, I think most people like their picks in, in the top yeah. four or five. So we, we got to give them a few minutes to, to kind of sit in that. But uh, they're around the corner. We're waiting for it. We're going to have you prepped. We're going to have you prepped. That's the goal for whatever your team needs prep. We're going to have <laughs> falls you off the rails. Yeah, give it give it a couple of weeks, uh, and then then you guys will need this content. Okay, so. Which one of those top three players do you like the most out of Paulo Boncaro, Chet Holmgren, Jalen Duran? And I should preface this also. Penny has seen these guys more than I have, I would say, mm. um, yeah. at this point. Uh, I've seen a lot of Paulo. Like in terms of like tape, I've probably watched more Paulo tape than anyone else in this class, just because, as I've mentioned online and on this podcast, He's one of my favorite prospects of the last, you know, probably five years. I'm not saying he's one of the best. I think he's one of my favorite, though. Like, I just thoroughly enjoy watching that guy play basketball. So, Penny, given that you've seen these guys a little bit more, who is the guy out of that top three of Paulo, Chet, and Jalen Duran that you are most excited about? Most excited, if it all happens and all and all the pieces align, it would be Chet Holmgren. Because to me, I, I really like Paulo. I have for a long time, and I was impressed this offseason where he kind of added so much more perimeter stuff, and he handled it, was coming off pick and rolls, and ripping off the rim, and, and pushing full court, and starting, and facilitating, and transition. But for Chet, I've seen him a lot, and I'm probably biased because I've seen where he started and, and when he was wearing cargo shorts of practice to now we're talking about him as 
the number one pick in the draft is wild and he was on the Under Armour circuit and it wasn't an overnight thing for me I mean you're you're talking about a, a kid who took a while to grow into his body. He still is. He's still really thin. His dad's seven feet tall, played at Minnesota. He thought maybe like this could pan out. And by year three, playing 17U, you have this seven-foot kid with a seven-six wingspan, can stretch the floor from deep, really smooth handle for his size. He runs the floor. He blocks shots. The strength thing, it, it does scare me, and the durability. He hasn't really had any major injuries up to this point. He is still yep. thin. He's put he's put on some muscle. The picture is from, uh, I don't want to go too like conspiracy theorist here or read too far into media day because we know how stuff can be photoshopped. He does look physically bigger than he did the last year in high school. And I, I know talking to NBA scouts, that's their concern, is are you going to be able to add some weight and still be the type of player he was? But, look, I, I keep going back to this. He was MVP of Team USA's U19 World Championship. I know it's an issue, but it's not this huge setback as some are making it out to be. And just a guy that doesn't really have an air or ego about him. He's coachable. He takes constructive criticism, and he's a dog. Like He, he has some edge to him. Like He, he wants the yep. smoke. He wants the heat. He wants the competition. Uh, I've started circling games on their calendar because he's going to get dunked on. He's he, guys are going to throw him, and he's going to come down and hit three and let you know and let the whole bench know that he does. So, so that's why he he has the most well-rounded game that can even take it to more levels with greater size and strength. Yeah, and it's it's worth mo- mentioning he's going to Gonzaga this year. Uh, yes, home, Greg. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, shut up. Um, I really love the approach. Even more than anything else, you mentioned the competitiveness. Like, that dude is a motherfucker on the court. Like, that oh, yeah. guy, yeah. he not fights a quiet one. Yeah. and talks shit. And he, wa- he wants to let you know every time that he got you. Right? It's the best. Honestly, I, I genuinely love watching him play basketball because he's not afraid of anybody. He is... He looks like he's 180 pounds. I don't know what Gonzaga has him listed as right now. It doesn't matter. It's it's about there. (laughs) Yeah, like Like it's nuts. Like he is very, very skinny. Very, very skinny. He's listed at 195 at seven feet tall. Well, again, he was. I know it sounds like nuts. Like no, like honestly, I'm not joking. He was probably 170 two years ago. Yeah, no, he's really done well. He was he was legit all skin and bones and. They put him on weight training, strength training, and in part of the competitiveness that you talked about is during the the pandemic here when people weren't playing basketball, he played in some like three on three tournament. I, I know this is gonna sound so bizarre world. I think it was at like Snoop Dogg's house. It was some like promotion in California. They had like an all star game. And he matched up with Peyton Watson, who's at UCLA, who's being talked as potential lottery pick. And the video went viral of Peyton Watson beating him and dunking on him. I thought, all right. And, and Peyton Watson let him know, talked about it, and then I, I kinda asked through third parties and chat like well how how do you react to that he's like i i got him the next play just didn't make the internet who cares got dunked on get over it like yeah like that's the thing like that's good he just shakes it off like you you have to have that mentality especially at 190 pounds like people are gonna come at you oh totally and he does not care he goes up and tries to protect the rim every single time every single time and it's not even just like he's rotating over from the weak side for a spot like he has good instincts as just a primary rim protector going straight up and down, trying to use his length to affect shots at the rim. It's really impressive. Like he has really good fundamentals. I think given his lack of just strength, I I will say like I have Chet at number three among that group. 
And I think his upside is higher than either of the other two. Like, I, I think it, if it all works, it, it's going to work fucking phenomenally. And he's going to be it, unbelievable. And he is an all-star. He can shoot. He can handle the ball. Like Penny said, like, it's it, it's an unbelievable. He's fluid. Like, if you yeah. see him and then you see him dribble the basketball and cross over and take a step back three, like, wow, that's a bad shot. Then you break it down. It's like, well, he's square. His form looks the same. And, and he hit it. And then he's got to hit it as a trailer big the next time. The next time he's got pump fake, take one dribble and dunk. Like he, he has that like variety of, of skill set moves in his toolbox. I, yep. uh, just to, to get nitpicky here, because that's going to happen. I'm not like a, a, a big comp. As, as you know, I kind of struggle with, with that type of thing. I wonder who he's kind of like tagged as being. Like who's the name that's gonna make the oh, people saying he's a, a it's easy Porzingis? Yeah, it, that's the name I get everyone I talk to. It's Porzingis. But it's, I uh, think he's but, a drastically better prospect. Yeah, I mean at the, at the time and when Porzingis took over New York, it was man a lot of a lot of teams missed on him. This guy's gonna be super, and then he gets injured. He's kind of been a, a different player with Dallas, right? I mean, I, I think that's pretty fair. Totally. So, I mean, he's, he's still able to put up points, but it, it's different than this kind of like superstar you thought to see. So I, I know that's going to be the name thrown around, and, and I'm not taking anything away from, from his career. I think Chet's a little bit better off the bounce. Like I, yep. I, I think he's a little bit twitchier. There, There's still some differences between those two guys. Yeah, way more coordinated, way better off the bounce. Uh, honestly, like plays more aggressively defensively. Um, yeah. Porzingis was like prior to his injuries was a really good rim protector. And he still like is an effective rim protector when he's in position just because he's so long Chet like puts his body on the line, like as a rim protector often in like a real way. The reason that I have him three is purely due to, I don't know how this frame is going to hold up. I, I like, we just watched Evan Mobley get pushed around in summer league. Right. Evan Mobley has 25 pounds on Chet Holmgren. Like it's going to take Chet Holmgren a while. And I am pretty worried about his lower half. Like when I, I was talking to a scout about this a couple days ago, Alexei Pokushevsky is another guy that's like really skinny like this, right? The thing with Poku is that he, his lower half is not super skinny. Like his like thighs and calves, right? Like Chet doesn't have much like muscle mass there even. And no. that's what I worry about in terms of him holding up long term. Um, again, if we're talking pure upside and like if Chet Holmgren stays healthy, I think he's the best player Uh in this draft. I, I do. I think he is the number one guy. I just have very real concerns about that frame holding up. I hope beyond all measure that it holds up because yeah. if it does, and if he can like put on, you know, weight and do it in a way that is systematic and really uh, well done. And I think Gonzaga will do as good of a job at that as anyone. You look at their past building up skinny bigs. They've done exceptionally well with it. Um, Kelly Olenek is the guy that comes to mind. He had a year there and um, really, really filled out his frame and got much better. If he can do it in a way that like works for his body, I there's no one I'm more excited about. Forget about it. 
Yeah. He's unbelievable. His handle, his shooting. Um, he's a legitimate monster if it all works. Yeah. It's, not, it's, it's, it's a size. It's, it's the strength. It's, it's hard to put that on when you're, when you're that big too. When you're that tall. And, and that's kind of like your, your body type. And we saw a little bit the U19 stuff and when he's matching up against Victor Wambayama from France, it's like he does get pushed around and his length bails him out sometimes because maybe he's out of position, but his arms are so long that he can kind of stretch like across the rim, decide to at least alter a shot. You're not going to have that luxury in the NBA when guys are bigger, faster, stronger, twitchier too. Yep. So the, it, I know it's a, it's a big question mark, but to put a bow on that's, that's my guy that I'm, I'm most excited to see how this works. Okay. Let's go to my guy. Let's go to Paulo Boncaro. Um, I really loved him early in his high school career because of his combination of high IQ and like feel in addition to just like skill level in terms of he has like great hand eye coordination. He has really soft hands. He seems to have like exceptional footwork. But more than that, like I can't remember the last time I saw like a sophomore in high school basketball, like make every single like correct defensive rotation. Like it was, it was just like, wait, like this guy knows exactly where he needs to be at all times. And his like understanding of angles and understanding of the game is just like really, really, really high. Uh, and then the last year, he's taken a significant leap in terms of his skill away from the basket. He can really dribble. He can like take guys off the bounce, like use a setup move, go between his legs, then sidestep into a pull up step back jumper, like from three point range now. At six foot ten, what do we want to call him? Two hundred and forty five pounds? Think, yeah, two forty five, two fifty. I think I think he's less at two fifty. Yeah. So all of that, I mean, I, I, the shot creation ability is really, really high with Paulo Boncaro, uh, to where I am uh, I am very excited to see what it looks like at Duke. I, I want to see how much Duke like lets him loose as much as anything, because uh, there is just a lot there that he can actually do that he maybe hasn't gotten the or may not get the ability to show within that offense. But I'm pumped. I'm pumped to see what it looks like, I would say. Yeah, positional freedom for sure. And he, he also recognized what he is because as much as he's expanded his game, if you watch those grind session games in Arizona, when they needed a bucket, he got in the post and he called for it, he backed in and he scored because he knows it's still like his calling card and he can get those buckets when, when he needs them. He's not just going to be forcing threes. And that talking to scouts, it's still kind of can the three be consistent, more consistent? It's definitely better. He's taking more. He didn't take as many at O'Day High School the, the year before during their high school season. And, and then on this BFL prep team, he, he took more than I'd seen. And <laughs> I have to stop myself here. You know, I'm a sucker for a good story in bloodlines. You know what position he was in high school before he stopped playing football, right? Oh, no. Oh, Former Penny. High school quarterback you're, you're, you're telling the story for me the vision the feel the rotations and then both his parents went to washington mom held the all-time basketball scoring record for nine years the first washington player to be drafted to the wnba and his dad was a tight end on the football team it's it's hard to lose when you're already a step ahead in the that genetic battle there when your two parents are 
unbelievable athletes. I, I really like how quick he is off the floor. He moves really well considering how big he is. And, and even these short time at Duke and, and watching these little interviews and clips, his body looks different and like still strong but leaner in a sense. So he's already kind of like made that physical transformation despite being at Duke only for a couple months here. Uh, another thing with him is the the competition he has on, on both ends of the floor. You, you talked about that. It's just he's going to be able to face up from 15 feet and do so much stuff. Like He's going to be able to see a cutter. He's going to be able to face up and yep. take a guy. He's going to be able to step out and do some dribble handoffs. Uh, I There was some time last year when I thought Jalen Johnson would kind of be that type of initiator for Duke. and I, I believe that Powell is a more complete player, and he'll have the keys to to do that earlier in the year. Uh, as long as the three's there, I mean, he's going to be a, a guy that's uh, – he's, he's going to be talked about top three anyway. That's just one thing that people could say that's the reason why he's not a hard, like, one or two yet. Yeah, so I, the, the thing that comes up most when I talk to scouts is just purely athleticism-based. Um, most people think he's going to shoot that I talk to. Oh, I, I, to be I think so too. I do. Yeah. I mean, it looks okay. I just don't know the, the, exactly what you're saying. I just don't know how many we're going to see during the season. Could be a bunch. Could be some trail stuff. They tell them, fire away. We need to spread the floor for everything else. But just uh, to be determined. Yeah, I think that's right. Like, the thing that comes up most when I talk to scouts is, is he athletic enough to play the four? Like, is he going to be switchable enough defensively? Can he hold up at the point of attack? Because... I don't know that he's a good enough rim protector to play the five consistently. Like he is six yeah. foot ten. He right. doesn't have crazy length. Like I, I don't know what the wingspan is off the top of my head. I have it listed on my document is like seven foot and a half. Um, I, I think that I've seen that. I, I don't know where I have that. Like I just kind of have it like on a personal document, right? Um, <laughs> you, you made your own. You watched them and measured how far he was uh, away from the basket did your own seven foot wingspan guess no well no i, I it, it's from like a measured event right, like basketball it was, summit or something yeah it, it was probably nike basketball academy in 2019 yeah. if i'm being right. like purely what like in, in an event that i was at that i got a measurement it was probably nike basketball academy 2019 um which means he possibly has grown since then it's possibly like i haven't listed it seven one in my document right um I think he is, if he can prove that he can switch a little bit defensively, we're talking about a guy that can create a shot a little bit that I believe will shoot at some point that hopefully can defend a little bit in space. We know we'll make all of the right rotations defensively. Like we, I, that's something I'm not concerned about at all, really. Like I think he will absolutely be in the right places almost all the time and help. Um, who can pass, who is really dexterous with the ball. It's almost like if we're looking for like points of comparison, right? Like the, the name that I've heard a decent amount is like Julius Randle, like more what he looked like this year in terms of skill set, like not as power based as Julius Randle was when he was in high school and college. Cause like Julius Randle was just like going through you, right? Oh, he's a, mo- he's a monster. Yeah. Yeah, whereas Paulo has some of that ability, but it's more like skill based. Yeah. Whereas like this year with the Knicks, like Julius Randle really elevated his skill set, started to take more threes, still had that power game going forward, but he really rounded out the skills. And I think they mean it more from like a 
positional role. Like he'll be a creator at the four. We'll probably be asked to play some small ball five, like all that stuff. Yeah. And, and I think the rim protection is adequate enough. It's passable, but I don't know how long you'd really play him at the five. And then if we are pigeonholing him here as, as a four, which I'm, I'm in agreement with you, the, the shot just has to be there on the next level, especially if you have maybe a more of a, a run and jump rim running five, you need to stretch the floor. You need to space it out. He'll, he'll get there that I'm not worried about the, the form or the mechanics of the jumper, but will he be able to really like have that as a, as a weapon to at least keep defenses honest that they have to close out on him. Yeah. Um, I have Paulo at number one going into the year. Um, I had the next guy we're going to talk about at number one initially when he declared, um, but I, I've since kind of moved to Paulo because I, I think that he's the best combination of high feel, uh, potential shot creation in just like a lacking of questions really like I, I think that that's it's more like I feel better about Paulo's weaknesses than I do about like anyone else's weaknesses in this class plus good luck finding a, a negative character report on Paul Bancaro as well oh absolutely people, people, not people people rave about him and Duke does a great job on social media and just kind of watching their stories and watching how he interacts he's embrace that kind of role and the spotlight and pulling his teammates in and uh, people rave about him up in the Washington area too. Yep. Uh, okay. Finally, let's go to a quick commercial break and then we'll hit Jalen Duran. Okay. We're back. Jalen Duran now. What an interesting player, I would say. Uh, you have probably seen more Duran than I have, I would imagine. I like him a lot. I really like him on the defensive end. I think that he's a great rim protector. He tries to dunk everything on offense, which is like the aggressiveness is really, really strong, which I like a lot of. Um defensively he's just when he's locked in he's a monster and he's great rotationally from the weak side he's a great primary rim protector he showed some switchability in high school he uses his seven foot four wingspan exceptionally well he's going to memphis this year for people who um aren't aware of where he's going i am in i am a big fan of his upside i'm i'm also a fan of his upside and and it's ken I'm going to sound like a broken record. I feel like we've talked about him three or four times. Can the light stay on long enough that you get that all the time? And mm-hmm. I've, I've seen him play live at least a handful of times. And when I saw him a year ago in City of Palms, he was fine. I mean, I, I got it. I understood. I didn't say, oh, my goodness, like that's the, the number one pick in the draft. And then I saw him in the spring or early summer it was at, at Pangos. And all this buzz in the gym was like, hey, he actually might get he might get eligible and go to college now. And he's punching shots into the sixth row and he's yelling, he's dunking on guys, hitting step backs. He's hard hedging. He's running the floor and said, that's the guy. <laughs> if that's the guy that shows up in Memphis. He's, he's at least going to be in, uh, in talks to be a top three pick. I like his, how vocal he is on defense as well. He, he's a great communicator as an anchor on the, the back line there. He has huge feet. So like the, the hedges, uh, of like pick and roll aren't always the cleanest, but he does have some effort there. He had this, kind of moment in time where he was falling in love with his jump shot he was just taking mid-range stuff and just trying to show that he could shoot from three 
haven't seen that lately. He much more bought in at Mount Verde to being this kind of monster post player that can step out and hit 15 footers or one foot turnarounds when needed, mm-hmm. but understood as a prospect that his role was going to be kind of this like beast in the post on, on both ends. It just, it, it scares me a little bit if he's going to be more of this like hardcore, I'm a five. And I, I think he is a five without the, the shooting. Like, do you take a guy like that one when we just talked about Chet Holmgren and Paul Bancaro and how their creators and initiators can do multiple things offensively when Jalen Duran and, and not really a negative, kind of just a positive, it can be sort of one-track-minded as a, a scorer, a finisher, a dunker spot, but I don't necessarily want him at the top of the key like creating for me with 15 seconds left to go in the game. No, I don't want that. It's a very similar deal to Bam Adebayo in a lot of ways. Um, I will say this. I don't think Duran is quite as twitchy as Bam was. Um, oh, no. I mean, Bam was doing like windmills on fast Yeah. And stuff. Yeah. But even like, like, I, I think that like Duran can do like windmills on the fast break and all that shit. Like that, that doesn't bother me. It's more yeah. the, <laughs> I agree. Um, but if you watch the YouTube videos of, of Bam out of bio in, in high school, yeah, playing for Team Loaded on the Adidas circuit, like holy moly! Like go watch that if you haven't seen it, because Bam has become this like just so many more pieces of his game, and people know he could dribble and really pass like that because it wasn't asked to do that. But in high school, the stuff he was doing was ridiculous. Yeah, and like for what it's worth, like I think Duran can do some of that stuff. Like I think that he actually can do some of like the dribble and the passing and all of that shit. It's more that when I watch him defensively, like you mentioned, the big feet. And this probably plays a role. Like, I think that he is much more of like a load athlete, whereas Bam was like quick off the ground and was quick, like rotationally and was really um, quick switching out onto guards. Like, I think Duran can switch, but he uses his length more as an impediment, whereas Mm. Bam uses his feet more as an impediment, if that makes sense. It, it does, and, and Jalen also has awesome like reaction time. So if, yep. if you watch kind of like guys come to lane, and, and maybe he's outside the block, he rotates quickly, and then even if he's just like a half second behind, you're right, his length and kind of like that low jump, he gets up and, and blocks it and can pull it out of the air or, or hit it off the backboard or, or hit it to a teammate. He's he's smart and knowing, all right, the, the offense kind of collapsing. This guy's going. I'm going to rotate here. That guy's going to drop back. Like he, he does have a, a kind of sixth sense of that in the paint. Yeah, really, really impressive player. Um, the more I think about it, the more I think Duran is like very clearly um, number two or number three in this class, not number one for me. Um, I think that I just like may have overreacted a little bit out of excitement. Um, so what does he do to have to make that jump then? We're, we're gonna, we're gonna have a, a ton of games on, on TV. We'll, we'll watch him anyway. He'll have some big time matchups. What does Jalen Duran have to show to kind of get back in that conversation with the, the top two bigs? And we'll talk about Jaden Hardy and, and other guards at, at other times, but just for the, for this yeah. exercise here, how, how does he get into that class or, or leapfrog those guys for you as an well, evaluator? Look, I think he's definitely in the conversation first and foremost. Like that's the number one point, like definitely in that convo. But I do think that it's weird because like, uh, is he almost like a little bit heavy to you? Huh? Like he looks uh, he, like he looks like an enormous. NBA player right he does. now. He's very, very wide shoulders, but they're defined. They're chiseled. So he, he may be a little kind of like heavy in like an NBA sense, but he's, I mean, he's granite. He's, he's solid. 
Yeah, like I, I wonder if he could like thin out just a little bit and like gain just a little bit of that like twitch, maybe. Um, but little, again, a, like you said, like he has, like I don't, I don't want to undersell it either. Like he, he flies off the ground now. He does, but it's, it's yeah, not yeah, the yeah. same. It's not the same level of instantaneous twitch ability. That's all. Well, yeah, he when he jumps, it he like and really loads into it. Like he's getting high off the ground. Like he's getting like. 36 37 inches off the ground like for a big that is six foot ten with like a seven foot five wingspan but he it takes like a load into it like it's not it's not just like you know he's quick off the ground like someone like bam was even someone like amari stoudemire was like very quick off the ground right oh yeah like different, whereas different world yeah and look like he's not slow off the ground either but it's more of like a it's like average speed off the ground with high level like leaping ability and all sorts of like strength because like penny said he's built out of fucking granite for a kid that's like 18 (laughs) years old Uh, i think he might even be 17 still like just a ridiculous frame but I think showing more skill offensively, like I'm going to be really interested to see what the two man game looks like between him and Imani Bates this year at Memphis. Uh, I'm going to be really interested to see like, do they short roll him and have him make plays in advantage situations when, cause like if I was playing against Memphis this year, I would be like doubling the ball every time on Imani and make him make decisions. Right. Uh, yes. I mean, I don't think that'll be every game just because they do. If he gets rid of it quickly enough, I mean, you have Landers Nolly, you have Lester Cronones, you have other guys, kind of DeAndre Williams, guys that can make plays and they can beat you. But in terms of wanting it in someone else's hands, yes, I, I, I agree with that. Yeah, like I'm saying out of ball screens particularly. Like oh, I'm putting yes, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes, no, I'm not saying yeah. you just like straight double Imani Bates. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm saying send the second, send the second guy like Davis and Steph Curry. Just double him. Just have anyone else beat us. Yeah, no, don't do that. I'm saying out of ball screens particularly, you just send two to the ball and then you make Imani make the escape pass or the pass into the short roll situation and then you make Jalen Duran try to beat you as a passer or you make, um, you know, Lester Canones beat you as a shooter or and Canones can really shoot. Like, I don't even know if that's a great idea, to be honest. But I think that's more the way teams will play them and... I want to see what Duran can do in those situations whenever he's like the bailout guy and needs to be able to make plays. Cause there will be times where he's the guy that needs to make the play because teams just like throw as much weight as they can onto the ball. Because like, I don't know about you. Like I don't feel great about guys like Landers, Nolly, Lester Canones, like putting the ball on the ground. Like I'm okay trying to recover out onto them as shooters. Uh, if I have like solid off ball defenders who can close out. Right. And it's good for Duran's development too, because that's more kind of like an NBA type of scout that you would do. Like you're gonna have to make plays out of short rolls or or right from inside the key, and it's not just always gonna be somebody's gonna dump it off for you in the dunker spot. And okay, here, here's a post touch, and you're gonna back down for two dribbles and, and take away a, a twelve footer. They're gonna make you work for your scoring opportunities. Yeah. No. Um. I am. I'm very intrigued. I think that that's the kind of stuff that Duran needs to show, though. He needs to show that he can play with the ball a little bit more. I would love to see him shoot. I don't know if he like can consistently shoot yet, but if he shoots it, like that would be a big thing. Um, I would say like positive assist to turnover ratio, some shooting acumen at all, and continuing to be like the high level defender. 
that we hope for. That, that's how he that all, like that, continues to stay in the number one conversation. All makes sense and all attainable stuff too. Yeah, like it's we're not asking too much. I don't think, right? Uh, no, I, I don't, and it's uh, the role allocation there is going to be something to watch too because they do have a, a lot of very good players and guys who need the ball in, in certain positions and uh yeah i i can't wait to watch memphis basketball yeah it's going to be really exciting okay um the next guys are more question marks i would say in regard to the nba draft uh, there are two of them that i'm like really interested in i would say uh the first one is damian collins at kentucky six ten seven five wingspan let's say mm-hmm. uh real athlete like what a ridiculous athlete Damian Collins is. Uh, do you feel like he knows like what he's doing on a basketball court yet? I don't. I don't. I don't. But he is from Atlanta, Texas. Do you know that? He's from Atlanta, Texas. The population is like 5,000 people. Love and it. And when you watch his high school stuff, uh, this pre-pandemic, it's mayhem. The stands are, are packed and, and he's jumping like over the basket and dunking yes. and blocking the ball. It's like it's the tape is is wild. He is like elbows above the rim. Like, uh, like as bouncy yeah. a player as I can remember seeing in high school basketball, at least on his high school tapes. I, I don't know if the hoops are like nine foot five there or something, but some incredible dunks and blocks and I, the rest of it. I don't know. Like He, he needs more improve ball skills and, and kind of more of a, a go-to move in the post and it's like his shots kind of like this fling and his hands go all over the place whereas just to to be lazy and, and he'll be at kentucky and isaiah jackson's at kentucky it was kind of sort of the hesitation i had with him but then you'd see some isaiah jackson jumpers and thought eh, maybe and then we saw a little bit more in summer league and it's like eh, maybe damian collins right now it's he, he's a, a rim runner he's a rim protector He's a dunker. I just want to see if there there's more to it and, and how it looks in the half court and how he's able to leave his mark aside from these like mega highlight plays, which he's going to make. So, yeah, I, I think that everyone like kind of classified him as a four man in high school, right? And like for I, the I, most part, uh, four, yeah. but it's like that, he's that's not that easy. Right. Yeah. It's such an easy hand wave as soon as you like watch the game. It's like you want to be a four because he was like six eight, six nine, could really run and jump. But then you see four now anyway. I don't want to say limited skill set, but like the jumper is not. Oh, there. no, it's he's it's not, limited. Like we don't feel good when he puts the, the ball on the floor. He's not, like, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't I don't I don't trust it. So if, if you're in the, the top 10 right now, there's there's well put by you. Just question marks. There's just question marks that need to need to be solved for him to get in that conversation. You know, he's limited. It's okay. Like, he's a developing basketball player who has incredible upside. Like, if it works for Damian Collins, I mean, holy shit. Like, his athleticism is something that I have not seen a lot of uh, as a big man. Like, he he gets off the ground quickly. He gets very high off the ground. He, uh, like, is exceptionally long. (laughs) Again, just, like, go to the tape. I don't know how else to say it. Like, he he high points the ball. He's a slender big that has springs in his shoes. And he jumps. Yes. You're not supposed to do that as a human being. And he does repeatedly throughout the course yeah. of the game. And, and he's like, like, look, like we talked about like Chet Holmgren, like Chet Holmgren is a different level of slender. Like Damian Collins is more like your traditional slender. Yeah, yeah. Right. The traditional like, slender, not a, uh, not the slender rack in the, in the store. Like you're even a little bit more slender, like keep going down to the left. Like Damian Collins is right there in the slender section. Yeah. Like 
I don't think he's going to have a problem getting to 230. I don't think so. He, he, his, his shoulders are a little bit like wider than Chet's and that Chet, you, you kind of, I, I just like worry about if he like shoulder presses too much. Like Damian Collins has like more of a frame to be built that can uh, sustain the weight that that puts on and still be able to be functional and, and moving up and down and not become just this like heavy bulkyish type big and, and yep. lose what makes him so special as a prospect, which is his bounce. Right. Totally. Like he's going to high point the ball at a higher place than just about anyone um, that, is in college basketball this season, honestly. Like, yes. it is unreal. And it's going to lead to a lot of lob dunks. Like, it's going to lead to a lot of that stuff. I don't know that I love the way that he fits with some of their bigs. Like, I agree. I, I don't know what an Oscar Shibwe Damian Collins front court looks like, for instance. Ooh, like, you, you better have some shooters around, right? Like, you, you better have it spaced out everywhere else. Yeah, it just sort of turns into like the Kansas high low thing because the bigs can't do much beyond that, and like we've talked about other guys that you oh and and they they can't they can't play the Kansas high low thing because like I don't feel good about either of those guys as passers yet either right or holding their well shoot what can but Damian Collins for right here right now being able to hold his position in the post right. like a one-on-one post iso and, and it's just shifted it hasn't shifted all the way to college basketball but teams especially NBA have gone like this more active five that could be shoot or Collins then the rest of the guys are, are more versatile and I think Damian can can change on and, and guard some fours but him and Shibway like then you get into trouble and ball screen stuff and recovery and, and how to expose on the perimeter. So there'll be some interesting combinations there uh, from a roster standpoint to watch too. Yeah. Like my hope is that they basically split the minutes at the five between Chibwe and Collins and then play a lot of Keon Brooks at the four. Right. Like I, I think that's actually like a really, really high level lineup to be honest. And then like you go any number of the wings and, and like, guards right like you can go tie tie like, and like and honestly you could both both Kellen grady and tie tie washington play the one or two kind of like that combo role which is a, right. a, a good thing it's positive and and then you have like cj frederick and obviously severe wheeler is definitely going to play like uh, he has to get minutes i mean he led the sec in assists last year he can definitely create so um i'm intrigued by this kentucky roster I just hope that they don't try to play like Collins at the four with like Shibwe and like Jacob Toppin or Lance Ware, right? Uh, like, they will. They will, right? And and we'll yell about it and say, who was our guy last year? Was it Dante Allen? Was it playing enough? I don't see like, I don't think that they're going to do. I think I really genuinely. No, my, point, my, my point yeah. was last year, we're like, just play him. And he played at like 24 and then he was in the rotation a little bit and. Right, and just didn't necessarily work with BJ Boston, but they'll they're going to try different uh, different combos. It's it's not going to be here's our our five and here's a three man rotation. They're going to try different things that works, and they'll look at the numbers and and hopefully that those guys aren't on the floor too much because there's just so much more upside with the other pieces kind of like working interchangeably. Yep, uh, and then the other guy that I'm really interested in is Mark Williams at Duke. Um, incredible close to the last year, end of last year. Uh, one of the most effective bigs in the country, really, over the course of his final, I don't know, what do you want to call it, like five games, something like yeah, that? Yeah, it, it, it was just so much, no, I'm not trying to cut you off, but it, it was so much based on opportunity, too. I, I mean, I wrote yeah. this down just from a, a stat perspective. 
he didn't play double digit minutes until the end of January. And then yep. he didn't play over 20 minutes at a game until February 13th against NC State. He had 13, 5, and 5. Yep. So over his final six games, Mark Williams averaged 16.7 points, eight rebounds, 1.5 steals, 1.7 blocks, and shot 75% from the field. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's against Syracuse, Louisville, Georgia Tech, North Carolina, Boston College, Louisville again. Like, yeah. I, I mean, if that's who he is, it's unbelievable. And if we go back to that NC State game, even, um, we're still talking like 14.7 rebounds, 1.2 steals, 1.9 blocks, over 70% from the field over his final 10 games. Like, if he is that and you can play him as the true five man next to Paulo, who's spacing the floor and playing like as a perimeter four man, Duke has the best front court in the country outside of Gonzaga. Like, yeah, and, I think, and also, and also, unquestionably, and, and AJ Griffin, three, three, four could play some four if you're going small, that type of game. Yeah, I've kind of assumed he's going to play a lot of the three, which we'll I talk about. AJ Griffin, I think there is no bigger swing player in the 2022 NBA draft than AJ Griffin. Um, mm-hmm. You you could tell me that guy goes in the top three very easily. You could tell me he like goes end of the first round very easily. And I would believe either just because we haven't seen him in a while. Right. He, he was injured and, and his dad was assistant coach, uh, Adrian Griffin, who yep. uh, was they were in Tampa because Toronto couldn't be in Toronto during the season because of the, the COVID stuff. So he was injured. He kind of just like worked out with him. So kinda a little bit out of sight, out of mind. And he, he slipped in rankings, but it was just because he didn't play. It's not like he didn't like play well. And then he, he's always sort of been banged up. So yep. definitely a, a big swing guy, and I'm sure we'll dive into him the next week or two. With Mark Williams, it was funny because the the first thing I thought about with him is, I don't know if you followed it, but he knows how to play the internet content game. Like he had all these series of like cryptic tweets around the NBA draft that, that Duke fans were panicking that like he was leaving. Just like one word things like no, dice roll, and people were like, man, he, he played well for five games and, and he's leaving. I, I, he needed to go back. I mean, I, I went back again. I watched a ton of Duke last year, but I just watched the tape the last day, really. And so many of his points are still off broken plays, rebounds, out on the break. I I did – I like his knack and nose for the ball in the glass. His his really good timing on that, too, and and kind of rebound and and tip it to himself. Great finish this season. I I do want to know how it looks next to Paolo Bancaro as the primary option offensively. I'm just assuming here a little bit. Because for Mark, it's it's, he needs to develop a real go-to move in the post and become a, a regular threat to score in the post. Because I don't think teams, he like snuck on him, up on him a little bit, especially on second chance points, but I don't think guys were super worried about him like throwing a post, here comes a bucket. Like He, he will hit a, a couple little turnarounds, hit a few jumpers, hasn't attempted a three at, at Duke, and I don't think he necessarily will either. Yeah, uh, not a shooter. Not yeah, a shooter. And, and we haven't really talked about this, but I, I did like his lateral quickness, and he was able to hold the primary ball handler for a couple of dribbles. Yep. But yeah, does does this still look like the last five, six games of the year, or are we going to get like a, a different experience? Because he also emerged with Jalen Johnson not getting minutes and, and leaving, and yeah, Duke had their COVID thing. So it was crazy circumstances, and, and he rose totally. above and, and rose through it. And now you have a more loaded roster depth-wise, and, and how is his piece in the, the whole Duke puzzle? Yeah, yeah. Um... 
Mark Williams could very easily be the guy. I think that I don't know about you. I haven't really seen him in the first round anywhere. Have you? I don't think so. But he, if if it has a couple games, you could see people start saying, "Well, he did this last year. He's doing this now in a, a top five team. Why is he not in there?" I, yeah, it's, it's still it's it's still a, a late first for me and i'm sure i'll overreact i'm sure you may overreact not as much those first games out of the gate we just got to slow down and and let some more games and scouting reports and see how people adjust and play through it and and not overreact and i I think he's probably still in that that same range i don't i don't see as a lottery guy but we have to see kind of how it plays yeah i'll be honest i do think i will have him um as a late first guy to start the year um he, he just seems like one of those players that we saw the flashes of. Like if he is elite level offensive rebounder, great rim runner, great shot blocker, rim protector, yep. like that is a real combination that works in the NBA. It, it, it does. And, and then it just becomes kind of what your team philosophy, team building is. If you do take that guy in the first or you take one of these bigger wings who may be around that could have more of a, a long-term fit. And I hate to use the word, but upside to what you're doing. Right. Totally. Okay. Um, let's take another quick commercial break before we get into some of the older players, some of the sleepery guys, etc. Okay, we're back here again. Matthew Penny is still here. We're going to run through some of the older guys, some of the um, other bigs that are interesting to us this year. So uh, the first name that I've got here is Trace Jackson Davis. I'm just like fascinated by what he looks like this year in terms of it's a totally new coach. Uh, It's an NBA scheme likely coming with Mike Woodson coaching at Indiana now. He averaged 19 points and nine rebounds last year, uh, and he did so basically purely with left hand like over right shoulder, like post-up hook shots, it felt like, or just like little dunks around the basket and offensive rebounds, right? So um, what does does Mike Woodson bring him away from the basket more? Does he um, actually allow him to play with the ball in his hands a little bit more? Uh, does he shoot any threes? He still has literally not taken a three in his Indiana right. career. Um, fascinating player that could go anywhere from – I don't know, you know, 20 to undrafted, it feels like right now. Oh, wide range. And it is. And uh, he will benefit from Mike Woodson coming from the NBA, being his coach and user pro style. And, and Trace was kind of on the fence. Do I go back to school? Do I stay in the NBA draft? What, what do I do here? And I remember reading kind of like the press around when he, he announced he was staying back to school. And that's equivalent to getting like a, a four to five star prospect. When, when you're able to get a guy who's a, a preseason first-team All-American to say, I'm coming back to Bloomington. So Mike Woodson said, in, in his once he committed back to school, that he's going to take him out if he doesn't shoot threes. And we're, we're going to use him in, in different ways. Yep. They just played two games in the Bahamas, still didn't take a three. He averaged 16 points, 10 rebounds, 48% from the field. They're 2-0. and uh, Still same player. Not not really as as trying to be negative about that, but the, the thing he needed as we've said, is he needs to be able to shoot or show that he has a right hand. I, I didn't see any tape, just this is purely box score watching, but you need to see more for him to, to take that next step. Yeah, the, the thing for him is he's got to expand the game, 
uh, to be an NBA player. If he doesn't, he is like somewhere in the 50 to undrafted range. Uh, he was as dominant uh, in terms of like just this player getting his own bucket and rebounding as you can be in college basketball last year. He still didn't make first team all Big Ten and his size kind of holds him back a little bit defensively as a rim protector, although he's not a bad one, I would say, for the college level at least. But for the NBA level, it's hard to be six foot nine with like a seven foot wingspan and be a great rim protector. So he needs to like just bring some things together in his game and show that he can play more of an NBA style. Otherwise, uh, he is definitely more of like a late second guy to me. Yeah. I, and I, it does feel like we're, we're lining up here for his last year, regardless of, of what draft status is, because if he doesn't necessarily fix these things we're talking about, I, I think it just stays on the same sort of trajectory as a prospect that he's currently on. Yep. Uh, a guy that I like more than him is Drew Timmy at Gonzaga. 19 points, seven rebounds, uh, two assists per game last year. And the reason I like Timmy a little bit more is that passing ability. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he's more efficient around the rim. Uh, he just plays with like a real degree of like toughness and physicality. Uh, he is worse defensively than Trace Jackson Davis is, which is a very real concern. And I think by far the biggest concern for him, but his footwork, his ability to kind of sink into that uh, open area offensively, his ability to just find open shots around the basket to create open shots because of his footwork and touch. Uh, I think he even can do that at the NBA level on some, like in some regard, because he's going to be good out of ball screens and he's going to be really good in the dunker spot. It's just whether or not he can bring it defensively enough to where he is a viable NBA player as a big. Super efficient, great, great word. 99th percentile in synergy for points per possession, 98th percentile as a post-up score, and 90% as a roll man. Has to shoot it, only 6 for 21 from 3. I guess we'd say that for everybody. Everybody's got to shoot a little better. Uh, he can't be on an island defensively. I mean, I, nope. I still just have the images burned in my head about Baylor cooking them and legit like licking the chops on switches and, and isolations. And those are the, the type of, of athletes and attacking system that you only see more of in the NBA. So that that's what I worry about him. I mean, he's an absolute bucket and also a full-time villain in, in the college basketball sphere. And I know some NBA teams are intrigued with him. I, I just, I don't know because the, the defense really scared me in the tournament. And it wasn't just the finals. Like it, it kind of got there and, I don't know if the WCC, they just got up and down so much and just beat the bag out of everybody that he didn't really like slow down and, and look at those deficiencies. So I, I'm not um, as high on him as, as you are. I, I know there are guys in the NBA that think he could be this sort of rotational guy. I don't think anyone's being crazy saying he's going to be a, a starter or no, yeah, probably not even a first round pick, uh, yep. but definitely a, a roster type of guy. Yeah. So what I'm excited to learn more about, I would say, is I would think he's going to play a little bit more often away from the rim defensively this year because you have Chet Holmgren next to him and Chet is hopefully going to be their primary rim protector, you would think, because that's what his elite level skill is, right? So I'm intrigued to see if Timmy can improve his footwork enough uh, around the rim. Because here's the other thing, too. If you're Gonzaga, why not push him a little bit farther around the rim? 
if only because or uh, away from the basket if only because chet's going to be there to clean that shit up every time someone drives to the rim anyway but that's a stopgap though for for right now and that could lead to gonzaga's success but for his success as a prospect the nba you're gonna have to be able to do both especially for kind of where he fits in the pecking order of yeah being on a roster uh, I I hope it's hard to like improve lateral quickness like that. That's one thing where you can do a little bit, but like you sort of got it or you don't, and and that's what I get hung up on. Yeah, he's gonna have to be like a Scalabrini type that really like shoot it. Scal could really shoot that thing. Yeah, that's when, true. He got, <laughs> when he got in uh, the red mamba. No, the red mamba was uh, not Bonner. He was he was a, a mamba. He was in the mamba family. But well, really but, but here's the thing with Scal more than that though. Like, yeah, you're right. Scal could really shoot, but he also like got pretty good defensively. Like, he's pretty good positionally on defense by the end too. Like that that's what oh, he is. Oh, that's what Timmy yeah. has to do. Like Timmy has right. to like watch all of the Brian Scalabrini like <laughs> mid to late he, career yeah. tape and yeah. figure that out. And 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 also watch the tape of him like going to like local community centers and wise Y leagues and people challenging him. And he had a great line that like somebody challenged him, like a younger kid, I don't know, eighteen, like, "Hey man, you you stink." He's like, "All right, like let's play. Like you're not going to score." He's like, "I'm close." He's like, "I stink, but I'm closer to LeBron James than you are to me." And then yes. it's just an absolute clinic where he wins eleven nothing. He's stepping through, kind of dunking. He's out of shape. But he's like, I thought you were good. I thought I stunk. It is a murder show. It was an absolute murder show on those clips. It was the best. We love Scalabrini. Just seems like the best. Totally. I'm in I'm in Boston. It's part of my contractual agreement for living here. <laughs> you have to love Scalabrini. Okay, <laughs> yeah, that, was, that was on the lease. Uh, next up, let's go to. I would say Ajolus Tubelis is probably my next guy that I like the most. Um, give me, give me some Tubelis takes while I go and grab my uh, computer charger because I'm at like ten percent. <laughs> okay, that's uh, a one man band. Uh, I, I sort of seemed like a quieter season, and later in the year, scouts were coming around him more. I mean. He, he shot. He had twelve and seven, nearly fifty percent from the field, thirty-one percent from three. The game that stood out to me, and uh, I'm not cherry picking here, is he had thirty-one and eight against USC. And, and frankly, I was I was watching for the Mobleys, and Evan Mobley had nineteen eleven. Uh, I like the way he moves and cuts. He, he's pretty active for a big. He establishes position well. He rotates. So he'll make a big target call for the ball. Really good hands on the catch, and, and keeps it relatively high. But still not this this super bursty off the ground athlete. It, it's more of reads and instincts and reactions as opposed to I'm going to jump through you or, or make a play and beat you with the first step. Yeah, it's all footwork. And man, did you do well? Uh, just absolutely Time, timed it up right. <laughs> breaking it <laughs> we down. Robbed, I, we, we robbed the bank. We got in the bus and they're just getting inside. It's good. Yeah, that's exactly how this worked. Um, yeah, he does it all with footwork. His footwork is absolutely amazing. Every time I watch him, I'm just like, holy shit, this guy has really smooth feet and he knows how to carve out position using his frame and his feet at a level that very few other bigs do at the end of the day. Like, can that work at the NBA level? I don't know. I, I think there's a chance it works if only because like he's not small. I mean, like he's he's probably pretty close to seven foot, I would venture. Um really rebounds the ball well has really good touch around the basket it seems like he the other thing is like i think he's closer to shooting threes than someone like drew timmy is um but uh, given that tommy lloyd is there now i would anticipate that 
we see Tubelis used very similarly to how Gonzaga uses Drew Timmy. And I would venture that we see again, like a pretty similar way, uh, how Timmy, you know, great close to his freshman year, basically got to the point where he got to like force out Philip Petrashev, who went and won the um, Adriatic League Player of the Year this year <laughs> over in Serbia. Um, I would bet you that Tubelis averages something like 18, 19 points a game this year. And yeah. uh, him and uh, Benedict Matherin, I think, will take turns of, of who's the leading scorer. And, and Tubelis, too, he, he can trail the play. And I think he'll take more of kind of those trailer threes and, and yep. be the secondary dribble handoff guy or fake. And he likes to pick and pop anyway. Some short rolls. I can use him a, a lot of different ways. I'll be honest. You're saying that you think him and Matherin are going to like trade who leads the team in scoring? I would bet you the Tubelis leads the team in scoring like in two thirds of their games. Like I, I think two that thirds, I'll take the field. He, he's he's going to, but if it's a lot of these guys that were were anticipating this next jump and next step, and Matherin had a, a lot of fans it seemed, and, and he was one of the higher guys that was kind of slotted that went back to school. If he comes in with like really something to prove to show that I can do the in between stuff and not just take threes and dunk. His numbers could be up there. Oh, I, I love Matherin. I think he's a much better NBA prospect than Tabellus is. Like, I think Matherin has like a shot to go late lottery. But just the way that that offense is going to run under Tommy Lloyd, I would bet you that Tabellus is the guy who is like the centerpiece of the show. Yeah, I, I don't. It's hard for me to disagree there. Yeah, I mean, unless like unless Matherin just like turns into like the Corey Kispert type where he's a legit like 45 percent three-point shooter i think he's good i don't think he's that yet basically right not yet um okay so next on this list here let's go let's go walker kessler i guess like had a few really good games for north carolina transferred to auburn seems like he's going to be the centerpiece of auburn's offense ish like he'll at least be like the centerpiece of their interior i would say um it'll be jabari smith on the perimeter and then him inside right walker kessler and he transferred from north carolina i just don't feel like people have really seen like the whole walker kessler experience like in in high school i I really liked his skill level, and I thought he could yep. do so much more than he was had in North Carolina. And in high school on the circuit, he was like this high level trailer, like pick and pop type of big from three. And he was fluid with both hands. His handle wasn't bad. He saw well out of out of uh, the post to pass out of double teams. So like it could be a, a little bit of a surprise. Like oh, I I didn't know he really like had that to him. Needs to be tougher and, and do it more consistency he did have that four game stretch in, in february where it looked like the light was like really on and he averaged a, a double digit he averaged double digit points i'm sorry he, while running the floor and, and similar to mark williams he shot four, uh, 70 percent from three and then he had 16 12 and eight blocks versus notre dame in the acc tournament so it's there there's 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 flashes he's a guy that i want to see kind of gets back to form because he was really highly regarded coming out of high school and just didn't live up to that billing uh, at his time in Chapel Hill in North Carolina. Well, in North Carolina just had that weird big situation last year with Baycott and Brooks and Dayron Sharp. And it seemed like he was very clearly fourth in the pecking order because Garrison Brooks was the preseason player of the year in the ACC. People forget. Hashtag people forget. Yeah, they, actually, 
they actually they actually do forget. People do forget <laughs> that one. Um and then Armando Baycott is just productive, right? And fits the scheme at North Carolina really well. And Dayron Sharp fits the scheme really well as an offensive rebounder. And they started to utilize him as a passer a little bit. So there's just a lot there in terms of what he can bring to the table that he wasn't going to get to show at North Carolina. To me, it was always a weird, that was always a weird fit to me. In terms of Not what totally. he was, it like on the Adidas circuit, I didn't see any of his high school games, but I saw him live. I think three games on the Adidas circuit, and I was like, "Oh yeah, this is like a skilled big." And his father went to Georgia; is like a very famous former Georgia Bulldog, yes. right? Um, a lot of Georgia bloodlines. His, his uncle too is. Uh, yeah, I I thought he'd be at Georgia, and you're right, North Carolina just based on who they had, and I don't think guys really shy away from competition, but like. The guys in front of him were going to play, so the minutes weren't necessarily there even for the taking. Mm-hmm. And, and and now he he will have a, a more uh, expanded role into what he possibly could be. Yeah, and like honestly, like I was looking forward to it. I was like, oh, I mean, like this is going to be like a perfect fit for like Tom Crean's offense. Like, going to do a lot of what Thomas Bryant did under Crean and all that stuff. And that just was not what ended up happening he goes to auburn i think auburn's a weird fit for him to be honest like they're gonna try and yeah they're gonna run and they're gonna play jabari smith is like the guy that runs the floor and gets all of that and like walker kessler is gonna be the trailer guy and they're gonna play um what probably i've been assuming they're gonna play like two point guards most of the time with like Wendell Green and Katie Johnson and Zepp Jasper and then once Alan Flanagan comes back like he'll play a little bit with uh, Cambridge like it's gonna be like a weird this is a weird roster I don't know what to do with this roster yet I guess is where I'm at Mm, yes weird Jabari Smith can really shoot though so if we're running he might be on the wing a little bit like Walker Walker will end and maybe he leads it he'll he'll rim run and and make guys catch up then it opens everything up on the wing or if he rebounds at the outlet, maybe he advances to Jabari. There's nothing there. Swing it back, and there's Walker Kessler trailing, and, and he can take those threes. So I, I don't necessarily view it as much of a negative, but it, it's yeah, I don't I don't know what to make of the roster. It's it's you, you look at it, you see all these different names. It's like, well, that guy does this. It's it's not as clear cut as as these five of your stars. This is kind of the offense. Yeah, it'll be like tailored to kind of just like the personnel that's on the court at that given time. Yeah, and like we'll talk about Flanagan as an NBA prospect at some point too. Like when we do wings, like he's actually really interesting. But now he's out for a little while, and they have Jabari Smith, who is like very clearly a potential lottery pick, and Walker Kessler is like a potential pro, and they have all these point guards. I have no idea. I, I just genuinely like have no idea what this is going to look like in terms of is it actually an effective product on the court that like wins games you know it it will bruce pearl can also coach which which helps yeah bruce pearl's good at coaching basketball good at coaching (laughs) yeah um, that's our takeaway today yeah we'll, we'll see what goes we'll see what happens there okay um two big 10 big guys uh kofi coburn and hunter dickinson I am much higher on Kofi Coburn than I am Hunter Dickinson. Uh, where are you on those two? Yes, agree. I, those guys both hmm, underwhelmed at the combine. I didn't. I didn't really take anything away being like, oh, that 
I didn't see that during big time play or, Oh, if he yeah. does that during the year, the, um, yeah, I, I, I have more of an upside, uh, more of an appeal, I guess, to, to Kofi Coburn's pro pos- pro prospect. Uh, I was surprised he came back to school. I mean, I, I, he had pro offers to, to go out there. I'm, I'm yep. looking forward to these Big Ten battles among these monsters in the front court. And for Kofi, I, I think his feet are better than Hunter's, and he doesn't shoot it and more of like, I'm sorry, like he, I know he didn't shoot it, but he, he's more of like a shot-altering guy by the rim than a shot blocker, but he does have that presence. For Kofi, uh, I, again, it, it's it's recency bias, but that Loyola game, he had 21 points, but Cameron Crutwick for Loyola, he did whatever he wanted, and Cameron Crutwick's not the most mobile guy, but he played him off the catch, and Crutwick was still able to beat him off the dribble. He finished over the top. It, it was crazy. Like, Crutwick actually, like, waved him off one time for, like, a side isolation. Like, those are the type of things yeah. that would scare me for Kofi as a uh, as an NBA guy. So, all valid points, and I agree. I was... When I went back through the tape on Kofi for the draft guide back when like Kofi was like certain to enter the draft, right? Cause it seemed like that was the case for a while. I felt like he was better in the drop than what I thought he was during the season. Like actually like going back through and like watching their tape and being like trying to figure out like, okay, can he actually hold up if he's just playing like drop coverage constantly? I think my takeaway was like kind of yes. Like I thought it might be okay at the end of the day because he's so long he does alter shots at the rim you're right he doesn't like block a ton of shots but he's there to just like use his frame and be big and like be hard to get around and his short area quickness is like non-disastrous like yeah i agree with that yeah like it's when you get him out into like bigger spaces and he has to like slide two times or three times is when he starts to struggle but like if you just make him make like one quick swift like slide to use his body and like stay vertical he's pretty okay at that um i'm not like the highest on kofi in the world like I do kind of think he might be a second round pick though at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I totally see that. I totally see him as a second round pick and, and also just an enormous human being. He, he came to a couple under armor events this summer because one of his coaches coaches one of the teams here and uh, I'm, I'm fairly tall. And I stood next to him. I said, I don't know how you stopped this in the, in the, in the post, like just a big, huge hulking figure and couldn't have been a, a nicer kid. Uh, but yeah, there, there's, has to also be mobile enough and and conditioned enough and we said in the combine he looked a little bit out of shape getting up and down yeah i'm sure that illinois will get that back in check but it wasn't this performance where we thought that yes stay in the nba draft and uh you you might be a first round pick yeah i don't think he's going to be a first rounder but i do think that there's a world where he stays in the nba as like a backup center for a little while sure he's just so big like he's so big He's enormous. Um, Hunter Dickinson, like, I'm, like, just not wildly in on Dickinson. Um, I understand the appeal. He is seven foot one, and he does carve out position really well. He's a pretty good rebounder. Okay shot. Like, okay rim protector, uses his size well. I don't think he has the requisite lateral quickness, though. No, and he he sort of I don't say walked it back, but he he had this uh, 
Yeah, it's cool with the other day. It said I, I was also going back sort of for the social experience too at Michigan that you're, you're supposed to be there. But he had this uh, he had this quote in an Anthony Broom article I, I read. It said, once I really thought about it, I didn't really – I always said from the start that I didn't want to be a mid to late second round pick. I just wanted to stay true to myself and stay true to what I was saying from the beginning that I wanted to be a first round pick. If coming back, that's what I got to do. That's what I got to do. Ambitious. I, I'm, I think it's going to take a lot for him to get first round pick because there are those things that I just don't know if they're necessarily fixable. But he will certainly be one of the the better producers in the Big Ten this season. Yeah, like when I evaluated Kofi versus Luca Garza, for instance, I kind of came away that I was going to end up with Kofi like a couple spots higher than Garza because. I think it's just easier to make like rim running drop coverage big as a backup center work than it is shooting uh, like because I actually think Luca Garza is going to shoot like 40% from three, but like shoot pure stretch five, no defense big work. Like, I don't think Garza really has a chance to defend in the NBA level, although I do think he is going to be a high level shooter. I just think it's easier to make that like decent drop coverage high level rim runner like player style work right yeah i mean hunter dickinson hunter dickinson's like luca garza without the shooting in a lot of ways what what an nba comp and that i think is what worries me uh quite a bit to be honest um great college player like exceptionally good college player that um you know was well deserving of Big Ten Rookie of the Year. I have no no idea how he made consensus second team All American, but like very legitimate and well earned, um, like Big Ten Rookie of the Year. Like if we're, we're going to talk about this next guy here, like I'm a lot more interested in Travion Williams as an NBA no, player yeah. than I am Hunter Dickinson no right now. No question. Um, when I've talked to like college coaches in the Big Ten about pro prospects in their league trevion williams is consistently one of the names that gets brought up largely because of his skill level like like one coach told me today like he can handle the ball he has great passing touch like he has incredible feet his feel for the game is exceptional like you can play him as like a five out dribble handoff guy he's quick like he has good like nimble footwork defensively like it's really impressive like uh, he does a lot of different things that like legitimately just like could work at the nba level if he thins out and like can move his feet at all defensively and he has a good foundation anyway with feet because i I do like his footwork and how he works to kind of make his his spot and, and carve it out and then he'll bury his shoulder to score and he has decent touch from those short little fadeaways. Can he change his body? I mean, that, that'll be a, a big one. And uh, I do love his passing, too. He has that Sabonis, or Vita Sabonis, not Sabonis, Sabonis, type of, like, over-shoulder pass, like, behind his head when he gets double-teamed. And it's uh, Purdue's another one of those teams that they, they have a lot of weapons, and it's, it's how much is he going to be featured, and, and what else does he have to do to kind of make that next jump, next leap. Uh, he already averaged 15 and a half and, and nine rebounds a game, and not kind of in like a lot of mock drafts early but maybe, maybe he's one of these surprise guys that shoots up a little bit as the season gets rolling yeah and it's funny like I, I think that i'm actually even a little bit higher on his front court mate zach Eady. uh 
fascinating NBA prospect because he is seven foot four. He is not super like fleet of foot, let's say. Um, but man, uh, it's 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 way better though. It's way better. And he was at uh, so he played for the Northern Kings on a grassroots circuit. Um, so he was at some of our Under Armour events, and it was the, this is this huge kid who, who couldn't really get up and down the court. I didn't really get it. He went to IMG Academy. He was on. I, I want to phrase this correctly. It wasn't the second team, but it wasn't like the top team, if that makes sense, for like a, a year or two. And then he gets on the top team, and they're you know they're they're awesome. They have Jarris Walker and Musa Dibate, and you're like, okay, like maybe like I, I get it. And Purdue has just had this this run of just figuring out with these guys. He, he's moving better. Uh, he blocks shots, obviously. He. Was it in the U19s? He dunked on Chet Holmgren, but he had like some play yeah. where he like dunked on somebody and stared somebody down. I'm like, oh my gosh! Like, how, <laughs> how'd they pull this monster out of this guy? So he he's gotten better. Uh, just like the the changing ends, like he he can do it. But NBA is just different. If we're worried about Kofi Coburn getting up and down, like I'd be really worried about Zach Eady getting down up and down an NBA game. Oh, we're real worried about Zach Eady getting up and down an NBA game, like. Enough so that it is potentially the thing that will stop him from being like a real NBA prospect. Here's the thing like, all of these super giants, right? Like, seven foot two and taller. Typically, live, the. Live, live, live in the Big Ten. This is like the. I don't know if it's the, the Suicide Squad or, or what reference you need to make, but it's, it's incredible when you go on the roster and everyone has one of these like monsters. Yeah, but not like him, right? Like, no. he is just a different beast but like typically they have some sort of like real problematic physical attribute like that we assume will lead to long-term injury right i I don't really see it with him like he is someone who actually is like really well built like it's a frame like typically like there's just something off about the frame with these guys like either they're really gangly or they have like really weak lower bodies or something like that like we can pick and nitpick right i don't really think that he has like one of those things like he's pretty it seems no, like pretty not, well put not, together for a seven foot four not, kid not, not structurally not sure. Yeah, he, he's he's gotten in better shape. He has he has he has leaned out and, and changed kind of what what he looks like and, and how his frame is. But just uh, I don't say he lumbers because I I watched enough and uh, I was joking with one of my buddies earlier in the year that I was waiting for because you know how like the season starts and, and everyone kills and non conference play and oh Zach Eady had eighteen and fifteen. It's like I hope so. You're you're playing the lowest of low majors here and there, and he won. Big Ten Rookie of the Week, and they kind of did it again. They kept rolling. It's like, oh, this might be a thing. He actually might have some some value here in the Big Ten, and and now we're we're here, September fifteenth, talking about a potential like big NBA prospect, at least on the radar of NBA teams. It's uh, it's incredible where where he was to being on a, a second high school team to now here. Well, and like here's the other thing too. Like you mentioned, how he started the year, and he did. He started the year great. He also closed the year really, really well. Like he averaged 13 and six in 16 minutes a night over the course of their final eight games. Like he, he was really good, like really, really good late in the year too. Um, Just a, just a weird prospect. Like there he's Boban if he's in the NBA, but 
there might be space for that for him. Mm, don't be smirched, Boban, though. Boban's the best. We do love I mean, Boban. I know he's, he's, he's going to be in John Wick movies, but uh, yeah, there's there's a role. There could be. Okay, so some other like lower-end guys. Musa Cisse um, had a good G League elite camp. I did not like what I saw from him at all at Memphis last year. Um, he's now at Oklahoma State, has transferred. He won the American Athletic Conference Rookie of the Year because he blocked 1.6 shots per game. It was just kind of a weak rookie class in the AAC last year. Um, he is fine. Like, I, I don't want to, like, trash the or anything. I, I I just don't see it offensively for him, though. I don't. I, I don't either. I was just unenthused by his year and started off as potential lottery guy and saw offensively that it wasn't there. I, I think they played like Western Kentucky and Charles Bassey early in the year, and I thought Charles Bassey was like way better. And I'm not really yeah. a Charles Bassey fan either. Yeah. Uh, so the the defense is there. It's I don't I don't know at, at this point if the offense really ever does. Uh, but I, I get it if you're you're buying into the G League camp, you're buying to a rim protector, rim runner, and just kind of clean up and block stuff and dunk around the rim. Armando Baycott at North Carolina. I mean, just going to be a consistent 14 and 10 guy this year, probably for North Carolina, you would think. It, uh, that's another one with you, you have Brady Manick and, and Dawson Garcia transferring in. What, what does that look like uh, with, with what he's done already? He. They said, I read today that Hubert Davis was telling them they want him to do more off the dribble. They want to, to take more threes. They just want him to be more consistent in his play and in his effort. The talent's there. Uh, I'm not all the way in. I feel like he plays pretty upright, a little, little bit stiff, limited bend, high dribble, pushed around. N- numbers are good. Just got to has to keep building on that. Is that everyone that was on our list? I think. Let me see. Let me do a quick thing. As we're on, uh, if you hit start at uh jfk as this podcast starts i think we're uh in sync for how, how long this thing is going to go yeah uh, I, I, this podcast I, I, is a live commentary for the movie jfk let's <laughs> put it on put it on it's like uh what was it dark side of the moon and wizard of oz this is we planned this out <laughs> uh the, the only one that was on our list was uh liam robbins who transferred to to vanderbilt that's the only yeah. one that we uh didn't talk about is that drake is that minnesota average 12 and 7 kind of tailed off from february on he's used to playing with a a volume shooter score with Marcus Carr, so playing with Scotty Pippen Jr. shouldn't be too crazy for him. But uh, and then in quickness has to be better. He can shoot at some, so has to do a little bit more. Uh, Sneaky led the Big Ten with three blocks per game, which you, you wouldn't know. I'm trying to think if there's anyone else. Uh, I think that was it. That was at least a preliminary list. Yeah, there's just like not. This is not a great depth class for bigs. I would say is that reasonable reasonable for now i mean that we we've kind of said this is like the fives when we talk about more the the fours the four threes where those guys can switch into there there's more there but but not as much we we sort of said that the top three is is solid we really like then it drops off then it kind of like really drops off again i felt like the second half was more second round guys we talked about but we we covered our list of, of players i think at least to start the season that will be um talked about more than most in the front court yeah like are there any freshmen that you're like particularly interested in among the bigs uh let me see here let me let me see as we go on who's uh, like you you would say musa diabate is more of like for a four man and we're we're gonna talk about like yeah, like we're going to talk about like Jabari uh, Smith and Kendall Brown and a lot of these other like 
big six foot eight to six foot ten, like hybrid three four kind of guys in the next episode that we do. So, like, if you haven't heard like one of those guys, that's why. Like, we're, we're talking more like pure bigs. Like, I, I would even call Michael Foster more that, right? Yeah, I I, I agree with that. Enoch Bokeh from uh, Arizona State. We're gonna talk on him. Canada, yeah. he, he's pretty good. But Efton Reed, we talked about. We just yeah, kind of in passing. He was signed up a little bit at IMG this last year. So yeah, I'm not like an enormous Efton Reed fan. Like very slow footed. Um, you know, has skill, like can kind of shoot it a little bit. Uh, Charles Bidiaco, I think, has That's really the, yeah. interesting upside long term. But I, I think that it's going to be a project this year at Alabama um, to kind of get that out. Jonas Adu at Tennessee, I think, is going to be more of like a long term project. Um, Nate Biddle's a project. Yeah, that he's going to Oregon, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, Samson Johnson at Connecticut. Looks pretty good. Yeah, time. It's going to take time. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're talking about a lot of guys that are, are going to schools in Alabama, especially where the, the guard play is so dominant and that they don't have time right now for these guys to necessarily get as much burn on the floor. It might be they're getting their reps in practice and, and playing 10 to 12 minutes a night, but not enough to really put themselves on NBA radars, I'd guess. Yeah. Um, all right, I think that's it. Uh, I'm telling you, I'm ready for the – three hour long podcast on the movie jfk when you are <laughs> yeah i don't i don't know if I'm, I'm the guy to deep dive into oliver stone movies right <laughs> so that's a few that's a few drives back and forth to work yeah i um watched that movie this week what a what a wild film what a the fact that that movie exists is well, just i'm, I'm sure a lot of people think that's what actually happened to that's the crazier part for me yeah uh, I, I love the movie. I, I genuinely love it, but it's a fucking wild ride. Um, and then I watched the other Matrix movies. Uh, the most, like the Matrix, Matrix Reloaded. Laura and I are watching Matrix Revolutions again tonight. They're <laughs> just there just hasn't been anything good that's like really come out over the last month. Like I'm sorry, well, guys. Hold, hold on. Did did you watch on Netflix uh, Untold Crime and Punishment on the Danbury Trashers hockey team? No, I haven't yet. Is uh, it good? Oh, yeah. That's that's the homework assignment. It's incredible. It, it, it honestly is. I was laughing the, the whole time. Okay. I'm in on that. Um, do, you know the, do you know the quick backstory? No. It's, uh, the Galante family. Galante? Galante, not Galante. Uh, in Connecticut, have like these loose apparent like mob ties, and uh, he buys his son a hockey team in the UHL, I believe, the Danbury Crashers. And it is mayhem. Uh, I, I overuse the word mayhem, but it, it is mayhem. Uh, who they sign, how they operate, paying guys on the table. It's uh, it was quite uh, an hour and a half. I it was one of those movies on Netflix where I didn't know if it would grab me, and it it grabbed me and didn't let go until it was over. Love that journey. Um, I watched Malignant, the James Wan horror that just came out. Yep, it's fine. Like. It was a yes for me. Like I would recommend it if people like horror movies. Um, definitely a bit like of a eighties like B movie vibe, but like right. trying the, to be the, a B movie. The, right. The poster, or not the poster. I guess like the promotional shot and the the font made it look like it was kind of like shooting for that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty good. Um, I also did kind of like Kate, which is on Netflix. What was it's Kate? the one with Mary Elizabeth Winstead where she's the assassin. Oh, I did see that. Yeah, 
I didn't yeah. watch it. I, I physically saw it. Yeah, I feel like we're in different. We're in different like planes for this. Like I, I watched like the Bob Ross documentary on Netflix. Yeah, I need. I actually do want to watch that. Like let's let's just do like a three hour podcast on the Bob Ross documentary. <laughs> I'm sure we'll we'll have plenty of listeners for that. Yeah, all all seven of you that will stick around for the uh, breakdown of the Bob Ross documentary. Oh. um have you seen the Jason Momoa movie Sweet Girl? Uh, again, I, I've seen the. Uh, I, w- I actually watched the trailer and I said I don't know if I can do this right now. So I, I haven't. I've seen enough to see what it was, but I didn't watch it. Yeah, it's not great, but it's a Pittsburgh yeah. movie, so I'm like predisposed to like watching <laughs> you're it. Like in, I, you're you're supposed to watch it. Yeah, like I have to watch it. Like there's a legit like chase scene through PNC Park, which is honestly like pretty fucking cool. It's bad. It's not a good movie. Like, don't get me wrong. But I, I want to shout out. Did you ever watch True Blood? Of course I watched True Blood. I think, I think we we've, this. I love we've talked about this yeah. before. I yeah, think. we had to. Because I don't talk about it anywhere else. But there's the one guy who is like in the first season. Who's ah, what the fuck is his name? He's like a like semi side character kind of thing. And he's in this movie and he's like an FBI agent. And he has the most fucking 45 to 55-year-old man Pittsburgh mustache in (laughs) the history of Pittsburgh mustaches. And, like, bravo to that guy. Like, unbelievable commitment to the role. Unbelievable, um, like costume work (laughs) from whoever did uh, just just across the board like uh, shout out to the people who understood pittsburgh on such an intrinsic level to get that mustache (laughs) right that's like that's like the deep dive when um they filmed the departed blake lively's like yeah i went to boston bars like a few weeks we're like really got the really got the feel of the city really got the vibe i I figured out what it was all about just because people are going to murder you if you get this wrong it's the town yeah yeah I'm sure she went to the bars that really showed true grit, but oh my that god, was I love that was, it. Uh, that was the town. I'm losing. Yeah, the town. She she did the, the thing there. Did you watch? Um, last one I'll leave you with. Did you watch Scenes from a Marriage on HBO? Jessica Chastain. No, I haven't yet. Oh, it's good. It's good. It's sad. It's heavy. It's been only been one episode, but the the acting is very good so far. Yeah, like I don't know that um I don't know that I care to watch that. Mm, okay. Well, you're you're in the matrix, so if you need to ever get out of that matrix, there's a escape valve for you. Yeah, our our next one is what we do in the shadows, which is just started again, and it's oh yes on uh, FX, right? It's just the funniest show on TV. Like yeah. it, it's so dumb, Penny. It's <laughs> it's so dumb. I, I've actually watched a few episodes because my uh, my brother in law was really pushing it, and we watched a few, and I'm like, I. I don't know, man. <laughs> this was like if, not necessarily my cup of tea. Like, oh, it's The Office for vampires. I'm like, I don't, I don't know if that's my scout. Yeah, it, it kind of is. It gets better in the second season. Like the first season, it takes them like you know four or five episodes to like really figure it out. The second season is one of the funniest fucking things I think I've ever seen, and I am so excited to watch the third season. Well, it's uh, falls in line with your um, your eighties horror. Any any horror, this is just horror with a, a dash of comedy in there for you. It's just so same, dumb. Same characters, different script. Like it's, I mean this in the best way. It's so dumb, Penny, and I, I just need that level of dumb in my life. I think. Yeah. Sometimes you need to unplug your brain and just do go full dumb. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, Penny, tell the people where they can find you on the internet. 
find me on the internet, Matt underscore Penny on, on Twitter. For those that have stuck around and listened to this big man podcast, we applaud you and, and hopefully you uh, enjoyed enough to come back for, for wings and for guards and positional potpourri that we'll do in the next few weeks. Yeah, we'll, we'll have some fun here. Uh, I saw, I saw, did you go to a wrestling thing? this week oh yeah oh did i ever it was uh very nostalgic for me because my dad was in the video industry and through wwe i'd say from like 1992 to like 2000 anything in boston i went to so i've been to wrestlemania king of the ring uh, my buddy rafi cut us some tickets and uh it was awesome man i was in the third row in the loge just going nuts and uh there's a title change the championship match which doesn't really happen on non-pay-per-views but aew is kind of like pushing the envelope and wwe that's their their counterpunch so it, i forgot how fun it was live i'm so glad that you got to do that that it, just knowing how much wrestling means to you that just is uh, <laughs> it's, it's really faded it's faded over the years but to be able to to go and and see it live again i was like it was like an old friend it's like catching up after a while that's amazing i love it uh okay this has been the game theory podcast please remember rate review subscribe do everything you can to support the show we'll be back uh with some nba stuff at some point this week maybe weekend it's just because i'm still trying to figure out like what to do on the nba side i think i have a plan but uh there's just like not a lot going on right now unfortunately it's very frustrating the nba like do do stuff please um until next time though we'll talk soon bye